Communications Manager for Sklo Center Region Library. We are located in the heart of downtown State College on the corner of Beaver Avenue and Allen Street. And this episode is dropping on Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. And we are getting back into our author spotlight series for this episode. Uh, This is the new venture we've had this fall with three best-selling authors visiting us here at St- in State College, uh, the first, Jamie, Jamie Ford, was a great visit in September. And coming up on Thursday, October 17th, uh, Madeline Miller, the uh, best-selling author Madeline Miller, will be visiting us. Her debut novel, The Song of Achilles, was a New York Times bestseller and actually won the 2012 Orange Prize for Fiction. And her second novel that came out last year, Circe, was a number one, reached number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And this summer was announced that HBO Max picked up the novel and will be doing an eight-part miniseries uh, adaptation of Circe. And just of a note, we know the in case you haven't seen her event at Sklo is booked. You can still go online, register online to be put on a wait list at sclolibrary.org. At we are also trying to figure out other ways for people to see her talk inside the library, whether it's through uh, via a, a television screen in our uh, sunroom and or muscle room. Uh, just trying to figure out to accommodate as many people who want to see her because obviously a lot of people have wanted to see her and her, her event was pre- was booked pretty quickly in our community room. So we are definitely excited to have her. So hope you enjoy my conversation with Madeline Miller as we prepare for her visit on October 17th. to having Madeline Miller visit us in October, later in October, and we're thank- great that she's joining us today. Uh, Madeline, thank you for, uh, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk now and to come later. Yeah. Um, I guess, first of all, one of the big news uh, for you came out, I guess, earlier this summer about uh, your book, Circe, uh, going to television. HBO Max has picked it up for, I think, eight episodes. Um, what was that like to go through that process and to uh, finally find out that your work's going to be on the on the on television? Oh my gosh, it was um, thrilling and completely surreal, <laughs> and I still sort of feel like I'm pinching myself a little bit. Um, but so so exciting, and I'm I'm really so excited about the people that are going to be doing the writing for it and um, the producing for it. I really, I really have great confidence in them. So, um, so I think it'll, you know, I feel like as a writer, you're honored if you have people who, who understand your work and I, I feel like they do. And you might, I'm sure other authors get this question, but how involved or not involved are you once it's in their hands, like in terms of what we'll eventually see on TV? Yes. So 
not very. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's that's pretty normal. Um, but uh, but I will get to do things like visit the set and possibly and um, and of course the the writers and the producers have been have been very open about sort of talking to me and checking in with me and letting me know what's going on. But you know, I I also really understand. I'm I'm a theater director as well who has done sort of adaptations for the theater and also in a way. Thirsty itself, the novel, is an adaptation of, of an ancient poem. So I, I understand that when you go from sort of one form to another, that there's this alchemical transformation that has to happen. So I don't know anything about TV, and I'm very glad to kind of turn it over to the prose. <laughs> um, you mentioned that sort of leads me to, I mean, you've had two incredible books, The Song of Achilles and now Circe, uh, with these classic um, adaptations, you know, classic retellings of these poems from ancient times. I mean, what does that, I guess, what does that mean that those stories, those words uh, written so long ago still strike a chord with people and they want to revisit these, these characters? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, for me, I have always felt that these stories are incredibly relevant from the very first time that I encountered the Iliad. You know, I, I just felt like, wow, all these emotions, this, this anger, the grief, the ambition, the hope, all of this is so, so current. Um, so I don't feel like I have to really do very much other than just sort of tell the story um, because I feel like these really are timeless stories. And there's so many of them that you could, you know, little pieces that you could pick out that just make it so clear. I mean, you know, Odysseus um, definitely in, in my novel and in the Odyssey as well, I would argue, um, experiences some sort of forms of PTSD. The Greeks didn't have a name for PTSD the way we do, but they absolutely understood it. It's very clear in a number of their works that, you know, veterans who are, who are coming out of war have seen really traumatic things that they are profoundly affected by, um, that, and that affect their relationship with sort of their families. And so, so, you know, stuff like that. I mean, and the Odyssey at its core is the story of this exhausted war veteran who's desperate to get home to his family. And I feel, you know, not only is that a story we can tell about veterans throughout history, but it's also a story we all understand, that, that longing for home, feeling like I, I can't get home and I, and I want to be home. And Cersei's story, you know, also is sort of, it's a coming-of-age story. It's a story of a woman in a world that is hostile to her independence, trying to find her voice. And I think that's something that a lot of women have experienced, and men too. Yeah, I mean, that... Uh... It seems so timely. I mean, I guess that these stories, I guess, are timeless. I mean, you can write a modern, you know, a book coming out last year on with these classic tales, and it doesn't seem like much has changed. Where you, people can still identify with the people in your books and that uh, with these characters that were written so long ago. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I I I hope so, and I really hope that. Sometimes when you look at the past, it can sort of illuminate, or even if it's the mythical past, it can illuminate the present in interesting ways. You know, sometimes I think we get so dulled to the present and sort of so overwhelmed by the rush of what's happening in the present that we can't really see clearly anymore. But when you look at it through another time period, another lens, somehow it can sort of clarify your present as well as the past. What was the most challenging part for you when you were writing your books and and maybe revisiting 
these classics, what, what was, was there any points that were, I mean, I, I think I read that you actually wrote, you had the song of Achilles written and then you basically threw away the first writing and had to start over again. But what were some of the most challenging parts for you? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was the finding the voice of the character. So I, both of my novels are told first person um, in the voice of Patroclus, who's the human lover of Achilles. And in the case of Circe, through the, through the voice of this goddess, um, who is also the first witch in Western literature. And part of what I, I want to do is I always want to be able to truly and fully hear the character's voice in my head. You know, I want to feel like I don't want to feel like I'm reaching for something or sort of pushing to try and create. I want it to just come sort of flow with a flow to it. And so the first five years of both novels were me just sort of writing and throwing away and writing and throwing away, trying to hear that character's voice. And somehow when I can hear their voice and I sort of get their whole personality and their worldview and I can see through their eyes. And um, so it's a little bit of a mysterious process. Uh, it's sort of, it's, it's kind of like tuning an instrument. I feel like I'm listening for the right, the right thing, but I can't necessarily articulate what that is. I just know it when I hear it. Um, so I think that's always hard. And, and, uh, some of the sections about Cersei's witchcraft, about sort of trying and failing and trying again, <laughs> were definitely resonant with me because I think, um, it really is just this ability to, to keep, keep going deeper, keep thinking, keep trying to make this character fully three-dimensional and, and really sort of let them live on the page. Hmm. Did you have discussions with or give even pieces of your, to like other, similar to you, other experts with the, in, in, in Greek mythology and writing to see what, if you thought what you were writing was, would be authentic today? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, with Song of Achilles, I really didn't because I was actually terrified that I would offend all my classic mentors. <laughs> so I have a classic background. I have my, my master's is in classics and, um, I've had many wonderful classics professors and I taught classics. And so I was, I was actually very nervous to show it to them, not because I thought that they would find sort of factual errors, but because they would think it was sort of blasphemy <laughs> to write back to these classics. I know I was really, um, and so I didn't tell my mentor until I had the completed song of Achilles in my hand. And then I sort of very nervously mailed it off to him and called him to tell him that it was coming. Um, but he was lovely. And actually the classics community has been incredibly supportive, um, because they, if I had thought about it for a second, what I would have realized is that the, the idea of retelling and adaptation of these myths is literally as old as Homer and, in fact, older because Homer himself is coming out of oral tradition. You know, these were stories that had been told and retold and retold. And then as soon as the Iliad and the Odyssey existed, they were being told and retold and retold by, you know, Aeschylus and Euripides and Sophocles and Ovid and Virgil and Shakespeare and James Joyce and Margaret Atwood and Derek Walcott and sort of down through <laughs> through the centuries. So I was hardly um, inventing this, <laughs> this idea. Um, and so, so, you know, and, and truly for me as a classicist, these stories live because they are retold. So in that sense, I, I didn't, um, 
I didn't go, go to classicists, but I always consult secondary literature. In fact, one of the most inspiring um, things I do when I get stuck is I go and I read sort of scholars arguing about, you know, the relevant characters or passages um, that I'm working with, because it's really helpful to hear sort of scholars constructing arguments about them. And I agree or disagree, or I see something new that I hadn't seen before. So it's, it's, um, I'm very grateful for that academic background because I feel like it helps me go deep into the material in a way. Um, I did call up a, a, a professor, a friend of mine, and ask him and ask him sort of his take on one specific thing towards the very end of Thursday, uh, which was which was helpful. But for the most part, I'm sort of it's me interacting with the liter with sort of the secondary literature as opposed to particular scholars. Mm. And what what first drew you either as a child to to this mythology to these classic pieces i mean it would uh, was your family it, were, did you read them as a young uh, young child or how, how did you first get drawn to these tales um i did read them as a young child or, or actually i had them read to me which is sort of the ideal for homer because that's how ancient audiences would have originally experienced them they were told by bards or actually sung by bards um, so the bard in this case was my mother, who started reading uh, bits of the Iliad and the Odyssey to me when I was quite young, sort of his bedtime stories. Um, and I just remember being on the edge of my seat, you know, the first line of the Iliad, sing goddess of the destructive rage of Achilles, and just sort of thinking, who is Achilles? Why is he so angry? Um, it was like nothing else I had experienced. And so as soon as I could read for myself, I went out and I found all the myth books and um, we lived in New York City at the time. So I was able to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and see the gorgeous antiquities there, which was very helpful as well and very inspiring. Um, and so then I just kept kind of falling in love. I had a, I took Latin. I had a wonderful Latin teacher who taught me Greek. And so it just sort of built on itself and built on itself. And what, I guess uh, inspired you or pushed you to finally say, I, I want to, that you said, I want to retell these. I want to write a not, I mean, what did, uh, did just uh, come to you or did someone inspire you to say, Hey, you know, you, you should, uh, you should look at these stories again. <laughs> yes. So, well, at the same time that I was, you know, spending years of my life obsessing about classics and Homer um, and the Greek gods, on sort of a parallel but not touching track, I wanted to be a writer. And I, I have really wanted to be a writer since I was a child. And I, I always wrote stories, um, but they were totally contemporary stories. So during college, I was working on a novel, um, a contemporary novel, which my poor roommates had to read. It's terrible. It will never, <laughs> never emerge into the light of day. Um, but I was, I was reading, you know, books about writing. I was reading a lot of contemporary authors. And sort of thinking about that, but it never occurred to me to put those two things together. They were just two separate obsessions of mine. Um, and then what finally made the connection for me was actually directing. It was theater. Um, so I was asked to co-direct a production of Troilus and Cressida, which is Shakespeare's version of the Iliad. And I didn't know much about directing or even really much about Shakespeare, but I certainly knew the Iliad. So I felt like I had something to offer on, on that score. Um, and it was just so exciting to be part of that storytelling process. 
for the first time, you know, where I was getting to talk to the actor who was playing Achilles and sort of talk to him about his motivations and help bring the character to life. And I was helping bring Odysseus to life and Helen and Cassandra and working on the costume. So it was, it was a way to kind of, I don't say it was creative versus the non-creative academic writing, because I actually think academic writing is very creative, um, but you have to stick to the facts. Whereas when you are involved in telling the story yourself, you can add your own spin and you can sort of, you know, change things and shape them to make them make sense um, to tell a larger story that you want to tell. And that's the part that was thrilling to me is getting to actually put my hands in and move pieces around. Um, and so when that play was finished, I had been planning up to that point to write my master's thesis on interpretations of Achilles and Patroclus as lovers through the centuries. And as soon as the play was done, I realized, you know, forget that. The things I want to I want to say about Achilles and Patroclus, I want to say in a novel. <laughs> so that was it. That was sort of this like aha moment. Um, and I started the novel right away. Wow. Do you remember what you first wrote when you were a kid, what your first story was? Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm pretty sure it involved dinosaurs and chinchillas, which were <laughs> two of my very favorite things. Oh, How do you um, – your passion with teaching students, what's uh, – how do you – does that inspire you, too, to see sort of a, a new generation appreciating these works? It does. And, you know, it really affects how how I want to write my books, because I feel like I love to see new people brought into these stories. You know, I think lots of times people hear the Iliad and the Odyssey or the Greek myths, and maybe they've heard about them their whole life. And maybe they had a bad Latin teacher. I hate to say it, but there are a few out there. Um, <laughs> I've heard the horror stories, um, although I've, I have been very lucky never to have one. Um, and I think people can feel very alienated from these stories and sort of as if there's something elitist or they're sort of only for special people or they're sort of that annoying, boring thing that they could never understand. And I, I totally um, get that experience for some people. And But I, I think that part of what I, I wanted to do with these books is I wanted these books truly to be for everybody. I wanted them to be an introduction for people who didn't know anything about the Greek gods or the Iliad or the Odyssey. Um, and that this could be kind of a way in as well as having goodies for people who already knew them. So I, I hope, you know, when people come to me and they say, I didn't know anything about Greek myths. I read song of Achilles. It made me want to read the Iliad. That to me is the ultimate compliment. That's my secret classic teacher agenda. <laughs> you know, that is that these books can help bring people back to the originals um, as well. So I, I feel like my teaching really inspired that. I love sharing these stories with people and I love, you know, making them feel like, Hey, these can belong to me too. This isn't something that I'm shut out of. This, mm -hmm. this is really for everyone. Wow. Sort of a off the wall question, but I just, if, if you had a chance to uh, like say, have, have a, dinner with Homer or what, 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 were some, what were some questions you'd like to, to ask? Well, first I would ask Homer, who are you really? Because I don't actually think Homer was, was one person. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think so, so I would, I would want to sort of figure out how that whole composition of the, of the Iliad and the Odyssey came to be. Um, but I'm, what I might say is, 
you know, Homer, since I don't really think you're a person, can I have dinner with Virgil instead? Um, definitely was a person. <laughs> um, and I, I would, I think I would ask Virgil, um, who he was the great Roman poet who was sort of writing in the tradition of the Iliad and the Odyssey, but unlike Homer, was definitely a person who lived through a historical time. Um, and I, I think I would ask him what it was like to see his country you know, he lived through the changeover from the Roman Republic to the Roman Empire. Um, it was during his lifetime that Augustus, you know, Julius Caesar was killed, Augustus took over and became the first emperor of Rome. And I think I would ask what it would what it was like to live through that. Mm, that's good. Um, have you been surprised? I know we sort of touched, but have you been surprised at the success of of these works like that people I know we touched a bit, little bit on it earlier about people wanting to read these stories, you know, going back in time again, have you been surprised about the success you've had with them? Absolutely. I, when Song of Achilles first came out, I truly did not expect anyone who was not blood related to me to read it. (laughs) Um, And so it was, it was really thrilling to have people, um, you know, these stories have lived in me for so long and been a part of my life and, and important to me for so long that it has just been incredibly meaningful to hear that they resonate with other people too. And so I, I feel very honored by it and completely taken by surprise mm-hmm. and so thrilled. Mm-hmm. Is there, I don't know if you want to give an update, is there an update on the song of Achilles? I know, I think that was also being considered for, um, for television or a movie. Is there an update on where that might stand? Um, still considering, but if I, you know, could only choose one, I feel like I would, I would love to see Song of Achilles on the stage. So that's actually my, my Song of Achilles, which I would love to see it, you know, on the screen as well. But I've always sort of, there's something about Song of Achilles and, and theater that I feel like would be, would be a good fit. So one day I hope to have some, some announcements about that. Oh, good. And do, and uh, do, do you enjoy uh, traveling and talking about yourself and your work at these uh, at these uh, <laughs> author events as as we are having here at SCLO? <laughs> and if you um, say no, that's okay. That <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I I do love to talk about Homer, and and that's where I feel like the teaching side comes out. Is I love to go and talk about these stories and connect with people about them, um, either people who already love them or people who who are just experiencing them for the first time. So I feel very lucky because I feel like I sort of get to be a teacher and a writer at the same time, and and that is a truly a pleasure. That's great. Well, Madeline, thank you so much for your time. We are looking forward to having you here on October 17th and congratulations on the work. I guess I should ask this, the, the typical question that you probably get, are you working on anything now? I know you probably authors get that all the time. If you don't want to answer fine, but I guess I could throw that in. Are you working? What's your, what are you working on now? <laughs> um, so I am working on, I sort of have two projects that are in the germinating phase, which is a very long phase for me. But um, one is, I mentioned the Aeneid. I would love to write in in Virgil's world. Um, He is the other great sort of ancient love of my life. And then um, I mentioned theater and Shakespeare. So after I directed that Troilus and Cressida play, I then fell in love with directing Shakespeare and sort of that's the the other thing, the other, other thing that I do. Um, So I've been thinking about The Tempest for over a decade. So the, the Tempest is is rattling around there too. Oh, wow. Well, that's great. Look forward to that. <laughs> um, well, Madeline, thank you so much again. Again, we're looking forward to having you uh, visit us on October 17th. And again, congratulations. I mean, it's great that to, for you to have the success with these books. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you, and I look forward to coming in October. We are definitely looking forward to having Madeline Miller visit us on October 17th. And again, while the event is booked, you can visit schoollibrary.org and register and put your name on a wait list. We are also looking for other ways so as many people as possible are able to see her her talk maybe through television in one of our rooms upstairs, a sunroom and or muscle room. And then you'll still have a chance to have your book signed and a chance to chat with her. Uh, so the, the this author spotlight series has been great. We had a great visit with Jamie Ford. Madeline Miller is going to be outstanding on October 17th. And then it concludes on Monday, November 4th with George Packer. And his talk is actually at the Days Inn in State College. So there are seats available. You can register uh, and reserve your seat at sclolibrary.org. It's free, but just uh, you want to put your name down to reserve your seat. Uh, George's Packard's latest book, Our Man, Richard Holbrook, and the End of the American Century. So a little bit different than uh, than our previous author visits. And we're uh, George is a journalist, novelist, and play, playwright. Uh, so we're looking forward to his visit on November 4th. Other things happening with SCLO or at SCLO on Thursday, October 10th, Research Unplugged continues, our, the fall series. Uh, fall sessions. Garden Landscapes for Pollinators will be the discussion with Dr. Harlan Patch. And then on October 17th, uh, Volcanoes, a talk on volcanoes with Dr. Peter Lafima. Uh, these are at 12.30 p.m. in our community room. Free refreshments as we continue the Research Unplugged series. The Downtown State College Fall Festival is happening on Saturday, October 12th. And SCLO has a few events happening in conjunction with that. A big one, a really big one, will be taking place in our our parking lot. A 45-foot-long inflatable model of the Joydus Resolution Research Vessel will be in in our parking lot. You'll be able to walk in there. There'll be a video wall presentation showing how science allows us to travel back in time and discovered what happened in Earth's past. This research vessel is, is drills holes in the ocean and, and takes material from Earth's core to study climate change and study Earth's history. So it's a, it's pretty, it'll be a pretty impressive thing in our parking lot on Saturday, October 12th. It's being presented by Discovery Space of Central PA, and it'll be 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in our parking lot. And then also that day at 2 p.m. in our community room, the wonderful, wonderful world of bats. Uh, children, you'll learn about bats, and children will be able to create bat T-shirts. Uh, you can bring your own shirt, or heavy cotton shirts will be available to be purchased for $4. So the wonderful world of bats at 2 p.m. on Saturday, October 12th. Also on Saturday, October 12th, the next Sclo Labs will be taking place. Introduction to 3D printing. That'll be starting at 10.30 a.m. in our Musser room. And, of course, all our events are available are listed on our website, sclolibrary.org. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I want to thank Madeline Miller again for joining us this week. And, again, looking forward to her visit on October 17th. Hope everyone has a great rest of the week and weekend. And until next week, we hope to see you at Sklo Library.